Please turn with me in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 11. At this point, we're getting into the details of Leviticus, the details where if you hadn't already been lost, if you were reading through a new Bible plan, it could be very easy to do so now. We will be reading sections from Leviticus chapter 11. We'll be reading the first eight verses and then reading some from the last and then skipping over to chapter 20 and reading four verses from chapter 20. And what I want to do is give you a flavor of the commands and then look at read verses 41 and 45, which talks about the reason for the commands, the first reason. And then chapter 20, we'll talk about the second reason for the commands. And then we will summarize and read some more of the chapter as we get into the sermon. This is God's word, Leviticus chapter 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Moving to verse 41. The author has spent a good bit of time talking about the squirming things, the wriggling, crawling things, and he continues, Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat, for they are detestable. You shall not make yourself detestable with any swarming things that swarm. You shall not defile yourself with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Going to chapter 20, reading verses 22 through 26. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you, for they did these things. And therefore, I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast and the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourself detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Father, once again, as we come to your word, we remember that all of it has been written for our instruction. Would you give us energy? Would you give us delight, hearts that are hungry to hear? Would we be changed as we come and encounter you and Christ in your word through your spirit? 
Work in us tonight, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it wrong to discriminate? If there's one sin in our society today, I think it might be to discriminate. But let me ask you this. Elizabeth and I are getting a little better. We're having more people over for dinner. And let's say I have you over, and there's on the grill this, this, this roast, and you see it's a bird, and you say, that looks kind of nice. And, you, and um, you go inside, and I bring it in, and, and you say, so, so just exactly what is this? It's, oh, it's one of the buzzers on the roof. By the way, that's illegal. We wouldn't do that. Okay. But there might be a place to discriminate, wouldn't there? And in fact, there is a time to discriminate. And in Christ, you must. Now, if you look at my title, it was, it was something uninspired, like discrimination that gets to go devotion or something. It's, it's the right idea, but I really prefer beggars must be choosers. Beggars must be choosers. And the truth that you're going to see here tonight is that God has chosen you to be his special people simply because he loved you. And because of that, you must respond. Holy living, as, as a beggar who has received grace, is, is choosing between the clean and the unclean. And that makes a decided difference in the way that you live. Beggars must be choosers. So let's just go ahead and explore uh, Leviticus 11, these clean and unclean animals. Remember that this is coming right after the death of Nadab and Abihu, uh, which had profaned the, the sanctuary, had made it impure. And the Lord said, you must learn to distinguish between the holy and the common. And within the, the common is the clean and, and the unclean. Because God is holy, he gives this law as a gift to guide you. So that you, you avoid being unclean, you are clean, which is fit for duty, and able to be brought into God's holy presence. Whether you're sanctified or the priests who are holy do that for you. And so there's these laws that are involved in, involved in every detail of life. And, and so the Lord here speaks to Moses and Aaron. That's significant. Usually it's just speaking to, to Moses. This is showing how it's important how to live as clean people. And he says, the people are to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. Now, what is the word distinguish? It comes up a couple times. How is this used? Well, it can mean to separate. In fact, this word comes up quite a bit. It's not used often, but in Genesis 1, where God separates, right? Light from darkness, the, the water from, from the land, this, 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 the waters from the waters. Perhaps there's a creation echo there. But God separates. Um, the curtain in the tabernacle separates between the most holy place and the holy place. When the priests tear the bird in half as a sacrifice, they separate it. Um, the Levites are separated. They're set apart for a special work from God's people. And then most important, we'll come back to this, Israel is to be separate from the Gentiles. They are separated. And so for now, you see that so you, this, this idea of distinguishing has this separation, division, clean and unclean. Now, this is not the first time that this distinction has been made. Fascinatingly, in Genesis 7 and then 8, where Noah is taking animals into the ark, he takes two of every kind except for what? Seven of those who are clean for, for sacrifice. And there's just questions that we don't know. To what extent was this idea of clean and unclean given before this revelation here? Certainly, at least with the sacrifices, it was known to Noah, who's again acting a bit like a priest there, this priestly language. Also, you see in Genesis 4, although it doesn't use that language of clean and unclean, Abel offers up sacrifice to the Lord, and it is what? It's a sheep. It's 
it's a clean animal. So, so you see this category already, but this is the first time where God explicitly commands what his people will eat and what they will avoid. I want you to see how comprehensive this is. This, we didn't read the whole chapter, but we're going to summarize this chapter. It covers every category of animal, what is inbounds and what is outbounds. It, and, and in fact, if, if, you're, if you're listening, you will hear, if you were listening and as you read or re- reading, you would hear the categories of creation. There's the land animals, there's the sky animals, there's the sea animals, and there's the crawling things. Right? That's exactly what God says in Genesis, I believe it's 126, where he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all that's in the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And that creeping thing is the same thing as the word used for swarming. It's the same Hebrew word. And so if you look at, there's these different paragraphs, and the one that we read talked about what was clean and unclean for the land animals. If you throw in verse 27, it also says in verse 27, all that walk on their paws among the animals, their paws, pads, that go among all fours are unclean to you. So lions, tigers, bears, oh my, all of those unclean. Water animals is the next, verses 9 through 12. Clean with fins and scales and the things that are on the bottom and wriggle around, unclean. Verses 13 through 27, birds and insects, right? So birds, uh, predatory birds, definitely off limits, and there's, there's some things there. And then swarming things in general. Swarming things are, are out of limits. So this is the clean and unclean. Well, how, how does this work? Well, these animals are unclean. And if you eat them, that's a serious violation, and that also makes you ceremonially unclean. Right? These are to be detestable to you. Detestable, it's a pretty strong word. Um, crickets uh, are detestable to my wife, Elizabeth. Some bugs, insects are detestable to them. I, I don't like them, I don't like high-frequency noises, but there was one last night, and it was down where I, I saw it on the floor, and I didn't have anything, so I just used the hand that God gave me. <laughs> Got that, buddy. I told the story to Elizabeth. She, it was detestable to her. As some have tried to soften this, meaning it simply means off-limits. There's some truth to that, but it is off-limits, but this is very strong language. And, and this word is almost, is almost always used of unclean food. And, and just think about the horror uh, of godly Jews with, when uncon- confronted with unclean food. It's, it's, it's not only unfitting, but they say, no, Lord, I would never do that. It's disgusting to them. And it's also important to note the few times it is not used for food, it's applied to pagan idols, which are more than just off-limits. They are to be shunned and despised. So this food is to be detestable to you, and eating it makes you detestable. I I believe that if if you were to eat um, unclean food, that would probably fall under the the category of needing a sacrifice, right? Maybe an unintentional sin if you were fed food that was unclean and you didn't know it. And so, if you, if you eat it, it's detestable, it's a serious violation, or if you touch their dead bodies, even, that's a lesser violation, you take a bath and you're unclean until evening. Uh, by the way, the only way, really, that any animal is to be killed and acceptable is according to God's commands, usually ritual, ritually slaughtered in the tabernacle, uh, perhaps at home during Passover, but, but this, is, this is where they were to be detestable, and, and their death makes... Even there, it's so significant that even if they die and touch various things, they become unclean too. We'll read now verse 32 um, down to 38. It talks about this. 
So when and this is this is the the swarming things, but but all unclean animals and, and anything in which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean. Whether an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a sack or any article that's used for any purpose, it must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening. Then it shall be clean. And if any of them fall into any earthenware vessels, all that is in it shall be unclean and you shall break it. Any food that is in it that could be eaten in which water comes shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every such vessel shall be unclean. And everyone on which everything in which fall their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken into pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be clean, but whoever touches the carcass in them shall be unclean. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed, any part of their carcass falls on it. It is unclean to you. So what we see here in this chapter is God gives his people Israel laws about what to eat. And this is a defining moment for his people. If you want to be clean, if you want to be fit to be holy, then you cannot defile your body with unclean animals. If you eat what is detestable, then you will become detestable. Now, why is this? We ask, why is this? Let me give you a reason why it's not. And sometimes we try to make sense of this and say, well, you know, it's for health reasons, because if you don't cook pork properly, you can get trichognosis. And so God knows this, and he's saying, hey, don't cook pork because you, you, you don't know how to cook it properly. Some people do this other often, too, sometimes with, say, the diet that Ezekiel had. You might have heard the Ezekiel diet, where you're supposed to eat the small rations of barley and all that kind of thing. Well, that, that was a siege diet. I mean, it would probably be helpful even if it's like a, it's a fast, basically. But that's, that's not what's going on here. There, there may very well have been health benefits. Same with the sanitary laws God tells them to, to cover their excrement. That, that has health benefits. But that's not the reason that God gives. That's not the main reason. And we must look at the very clear reason that God gives. It can be very easy to miss if you're reading through it. But it stands right out uh, at the end of the chapter. So let's go to verses 45, 4 and 45 again. Why are you to eat this way? It says, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourself with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall, therefore, be holy, as I am holy. The Lord's saying here, I have a special relationship with you. I chose you as my people. I want to live with you in a special way. I have declared my covenant with you to be your God and be your people. And because of that, because of that covenant, because of that promise, because of what I've done for you in the past, this is now how you live. Israel, you should see yourself as holy, special, set apart, and so live in this way. And so whenever you see or read about food laws in the Old Testament, I want you to think about this special relationship. Think special people. It's a sign to show God's, God's love and, and care for, for the people. Just recently, the kids dug up a, an album that we have of Elizabeth and me, and some of the pictures are before we were married, you know, young and all that. And I was getting ready to get deployed, and I hadn't asked her to marry her yet. She wasn't ready to say yes, but I gave her a set of my dog tags. I might as well have. I gave her a set of my dog tags and said, would you please wear these? You can wear these until I come back. Um, and so there's a picture of us together. I got my dog tags out. She has her dog tags out. What I didn't realize is that, correct me if you're wrong, dear, but I think she wore them outside quite a bit. You normally wear dog tags inside, but she wore them outside as, as a visible sign 
of our relationship, of, of that we had this special connection. And that's how these laws serve. Like they're, they're not a burden, right? Any more than those dog tags were for Elizabeth. I think this also helps us understand how this and all these detailed laws are not legalistic if done properly. If followed properly in the Old Covenant as it flowed out of God's love and salvation for Israel, you're not doing this to earn your salvation. You're doing this because God has brought you this great deliverance that says, I love you, I chose you, now live for me. You were beggars, received my mercy, now you must be choosers. You must define between what is clean and unclean. And so the way they ate distinguished who they were and what God said was good and not. It showed that they loved and cared about their relationship. Now this drawing them to God shows a second part then of this why. It set them apart from the Gentiles, the nations around them. Now, now they, they were to view the Gentiles as unclean. And God says, you are to separate from the nations because I detest them and their sinful practices. We actually read that. In Leviticus 20, the same language that's used of the food, unclean and and detest, is used for the Gentiles. And so, just, and you notice, I don't know if you noticed when we read chapter 20, it talks about the Gentiles, the food, and then the Gentiles. Right? It's interwoven. These, These two are connected. It's supposed to set you apart from the Gentiles, who not only are eating these foods, but were idolaters. So idols set them apart, but what's the other thing? What's the natural barrier that God gives? Well, your food. Right? A clean, uh, clean food will set you apart from the Gentiles. They, Jews did not eat with Gentiles because they were considered unclean and ate unclean foods. That was a problem in the early church. This is a very natural barrier. If you don't eat with people, you can't get close to them. And I even see this today, it was illustrated at the chaplain training, we had two Jewish rabbis, now I, they, they went off and they ate on their own, even more so, they, they keep the Jewish Sabbath, which starts on Friday. So, so, it's, um, so they, they actually get a dispensation, they, they were gone when we were there, they, they, the last day, they just weren't there. Right? They were separate from us. And so this is what it does today, right? This, this, this sets you off. In fact, it was so, it's so obvious that even today, if an archaeologist is doing work in the Holy Lands and they find a small ancient village or settlement and there's no pig bones in the trash pile, they conclude with high degree of certainty that it was an Israelite settlement. So these food laws set them off from the nation. It, it attaches them to God and separates them from the nations. Now, let's just... Okay, that's the why. But let's explore this a little bit more. There's both, I think, a, mes- a method and a mystery to God's law. I think there's maybe two mistakes here is to say, well, we can understand exactly why God gives all of these laws. Or you can say, well, we just don't know. There's, there's no reason. Uh, we, just, we can't tell. I, I, think, I think there is ways that we can tell, um, that teach us why God gives these laws. These are symbolic enactments of truth. And so, by acting in an outward symbolic way, it reminds God's people who they are. And, and if you remember that this idea of holiness was a spectrum, right? On, on, on the one side is, is fullness of life, it's wholeness, it's what's perfect and complete, that's where God is. And the other side is death and abnormality and everything that's wrong and chaos. And so, then you can see how anything that has to do with death is unclean. So any of your predators, any of your scavengers, right, they have to do with dead bodies. They eat dead things. They kill or, or they scavenge. They're, they're, they're unclean. Uh, bats, 
are listed. Not only do they eat insects, but they also live in caves, which is where people used to house the dead. Right? They, they remind you of death, and so they should be avoided. Animals that eat clean foods, which are plants, are often considered clean. So you can see that just, just the simple, we, we are going to avoid things that are involved, eating things that are involved with death. And then, well, what is normal? What is whole? What represents the world, the created world order? And possibly, we're not sure, but it may be the thinking is, well, fish with, skins, uh, with fins and scales, they, they swim normally. But, but, you know, the eel that creeps on the bottom, that's abnormal, and it, it, it represents something that's different. Now, now, yes, God did create them good, um, but yet they don't symbolize wholeness or perfection. In a way, God has said this class of animals signifies what is normal, and that is what is appropriate for my community that's to be holy to eat. And this can help you understand this idea of, of life and what is normal, of maybe I'm making some sense of those, some of those head scratches where, you know, don't cook a, a goat, a baby goat, in its mother's milk. Well, we, you're putting the goat to death, but you're cooking it in milk, which is an instrument of life. There's, there's a clash there. That's not appropriate. Or, or even what we read in verse 38. Um, you know, verse 37 38, if any part of their carcass, these, these, these uh, swarming things, falls upon the seed grain that's, on, to be, that's yet to be sown, it's clean. But if water is put on the seed, then any part of their carcass falls on it. It's unclean to you. What's, what's going on there? Well, um, po- two possibilities. One is that when, when you put water in the seed, it's germinated, so it's alive, and so death is touching life. Or it's just the fact that this is grain that's going to be cooked or fermented, and you're about to eat it. And so that, therefore, makes it different. Um, you, don't want, you don't want to eat something that's been touched by death. So I think there are ways that you go through. There's a, there's a little bit of, of, of this can be un, a little bit unusual, but you could say, okay, if I can put myself in, in their mindset, I could see how this is a parable that God's saying, be holy as I'm holy. And, and yet, we can still be honest and say, there's just some things we don't know. Um, you know, why not rabbits and camels? They, they don't eat meat, right? There's, um, and sometimes the final answer really is just because God said so. As one pastor said, you know, the more mature we are in our relationship with God, the more when we don't understand something, and he says, do it this way, we can say, yes, Lord, we trust you. Uh, and this can be really helpful today as we help people, maybe disciple young Christians who are coming into the faith, understand God's moral law today. Because what used to be obvious is not, no, no longer obvious to some people. Why does God put it this way? And you can list all the reasons, the, the practical benefits of keeping God's law, but sometimes at the end of the day, you just need to say, you know, you've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. Because beggars must be choosers. And they must choose what God says is clean and avoid what is unclean. Now, what about us as followers of Jesus? What does this mean for the church today? Now, two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus transformed these laws. We look at Mark 7. It's not what's on the outside, but the inside which defiles you. If you look at the ceremonial law as training wheels, it's a time for the training wheels to fall off. Remember how this was hard for Peter. There was that, that vision in Acts 10 where the curtain comes down and says, take and eat. And it's all these unclean animals that's supposed to be detestable to him. Surely not, Lord. He has to hear it three times. And then, and then in Galatians 2, it seems like Peter falls back into this way when there are people, the Judaizers, they come and he, he only eats with the Jews and, and he separates himself from the Gentile Christians and Paul has to rebuke him. But Jesus does change this. And, 
And as we look again about how pervasive this was, you can't fail to miss how the whole scripture revolves around Jesus, that the coming of his kingdom is huge. I, I want you to think about this when you read the food laws in the Old Testament, how important they were to God's people back then. And now that that's been done, it's fulfilled in Jesus. That says something about the magnitude of who he is. All the scripture points to him. And yet, and yet they still teach you. They still teach you. Do you remember we read 1 Peter, parts of 1 Peter? And remember, this is the very Peter who had to learn slowly and sometimes painfully that the special signs of the Jewish nation was no longer needed. And yet he still uses the same idea of cleanness and uncleanness, of, of holiness to Jesus in light, uh, in holiness to God in light of Jesus. Remember when we, we were greeted, the, you were the elect exiles. You are chosen and holy. Peter quotes the, the, the verses here, be holy because I am holy. He talks about how you are a new identity. You are, you are a temple. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. This is quoting back to Exodus 19, where God is calling Israel as his covenant people. He's saying that that relationship that God rescued his people out of Egypt and, and made them him, his, that's now you. Right? That, that, that applies to you. And, and so then he, after interspersing a conduct with who you are, he says, so keep your, your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, right? the people that you have to be distinct from, but keep your conduct honorable. Now it's no longer the food laws that should distinguish you, but God's moral law. Right? And, and you see how similar this is. There is a, there's a parallel between the clean and unclean in the Old Testament and the New. You are also attached from God, attached to God, and yet separate from the Gentiles. And you also have that same type of motivation that, that undercuts legalism. Right? You, you keep God's law because of the new identity that you have, because of what Jesus has done for you. Peter says that in Jesus you have redemption. You are a new people. You're called into the light. It's, it's that same motiva- motivation that, that if you follow God because of what he's done for you, you will not be legalistic. There are Christians, we're always, we're always tempted to kind of find out who's who by, by creating a list, right? And if you keep this list, more or less, you're on the inside. And if you don't keep this list, you're on the outside. It's especially dangerous when this list does not line up with what God commands. But well-meaning people have, in the past, they've avoided movies and cards and dancing and alcohol. And, and uh, I remember one time my seminary professor was talking to more of a fundamentalist, a well-intended Christian, saying, well, you know, we Presbyterians do some of those things. And, and he said, well, how will people know that they're Christians then? He said, well, the fruit of the Spirit? Now, on the other side, we Presbyterians can fall off the bandwagon. My, my pastor growing up grew up in a bar, not a Christian, and he was going to seminary with, with brothers who were just loving Christian liberty and alcohol, and he said, you're not living liberty in Christ, you're drunk. Um, so, so we can fall off both sides, but, but we don't just have a simple list that we check. It's, it's, it's God's law that drives us, and so why then? How does this, you know, why, why do you do things? Are you kind to others? Because if you are, they'll be kind back to you. Or do you say, don't divorce because it's bad for children, although it's terrible for children? Or do we say, be sexually pure because if you sleep around, you will get STDs? No, you say, first of all, you do it because God has chosen you and you are holy. Right? And this is the difference then, should make the way that you stand out in the world. If you live in the world long enough, you should be different. 
John says in 1 John 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of possession is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, in a couple weeks, we'll talk about how life in Jesus is different. Instead of kind of drawing these lines in the sand and everyone coming in, with Jesus, what is unclean becomes clean. And so there are times that we're sent out. There's a beautiful new reality. But there is this sense in which we are to be separate and we are to stand out. And so what does that look like? It, it does mean that Christians, people should recognize you enough time, given enough time as a Christian. Let me give you just two examples. I'll give one from my personal life. Um, I went to sergeant school 2004, almost 20 years ago. I'm a young guy. Um, you're living in close proximity for two weeks. So people get to know you pretty well. Um, you know, I like people, a little socially awkward, but hung out with them and I think I talked about Jesus some, and I just knew there were some things I would do and some things I wouldn't do, and we talked about faith a little bit. And there was, there was one, one sergeant there that I got to know her somewhat well, just as an acquaintance, and, and then we ran into each other a couple years later in Balad, Iraq. And it's kind of one of those, I think I've seen you before. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and as I said hi, she said, wait, wait, oh, you're the Christian. And it wasn't mocking. It wasn't, it, it, there, 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 was, there was no mockery there, but I, I took it as a compliment. Um, she was clearly not a Christian just by her lifestyle, that was obvious. But that she remembered, yeah, you follow Jesus. I could see that. Give you one more example. Some of you may know the name David Mitchell. He was one year older than me, he was 42. When he died in July, he was a learned father car accident. I wasn't able to go to the funeral, but it was held here. And I came over and talked to his wife, Kelly, the day before. And she was very composed, um, incredibly so, grieving terribly. But she said, you know, my husband, he was an honorable man. He was a contractor. He, he did his own businesses. He worked very hard. But people could tell by the work that he did, that he followed the Lord. And I, the reason I didn't attend, and I was actually quite exhausted the next day, but I saw for two hours, people came. It was a two-hour funeral. Whenever that happens, that means you've, 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 you've struck a nerve, that you've touched people by your lives, that they could tell that you're following Christ. People of God, you are beggars. You're, you're saved by grace. And you must be choosers. You must discriminate between what is holy and what is not. This week, as you go out to serve the Lord, remember who you are. You're God's people. By His grace, may we live that way. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your, your revelation and your old covenant. We also thank you for the newness and the new covenant. May we not take lightly the fact that you demand holiness. And just because we do not have individual detailed lists that specifically say how to live this way and that, let us not make that as, use that as an excuse to live any way that we want, but rather say how, 
else can we live for the one who has loved us and give himself for us? And so we offer ourselves to you for Jesus' glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.